Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he was a racist cop who framed men, shook down women for sex, and is connected to unsolved murders in Kansas City, Kansas. Years later, is it too late to hold Roger Golubsky accountable? We'll review the podcast, Overlooked. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, remember I told you on Monday how I burned my tongue? Yes. You mean you told me on Monday how you burned your tongue? Yeah. I I just did it again. (laughs) Damn. It has not cooled down. This this Yeti thing keeps this hot for four days. Yes. And it's like you told me on Monday. We're getting them as a sponsor now. Through the powers. Oh, my God. By the way, this is a very good endorsement for the Yeti products. That's Mm. what I'm saying. It's just like the hint water. Like, we're going to get Yeti next. Okay, so we tape on Wednesdays, right? So it's the following Thursday, and that tea is still really hot. Yes. Thanks to the Mm -hmm. power of the insulated Yeti cup. All the skin Mm -hmm. is like... You know, (laughs) puckering and they're not going to advertise us if you talk about how burnt your mouth is. But can you like attest to how hot that drink still is? Yes, because I was drinking Salada tea. Yes, Salada has all the best natural black and orange. Never mind. (laughs) You do love your Salada tea. You were so upset when all we had was fancy Bigelow's. All he wanted was Salada. Why do you want like green tea? (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady. And author of the Piper Green series of Cozy Mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. I don't have any tea. I just have water. So uh, my tongue is fine. Yeah, but you always spill the tea. So I have. I do. Yes. Zero Sugar A&W Root Beer, the latest non-sponsor of Crime. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, what are you drinking and what temperature is it? Uh, I don't have anything to drink. You don't even have water? I don't have water. I don't have a beer, a Moscow Mule. I hint. Wow. How do you make it through this long taping without anything to drink? Uh, I don't know. Somehow he has, though, yeah. Toby Ball, superhuman. He's like a camel. He can carry water in, like, the back of his, like, like, head or something. Is that because you think (laughs) hydration is a bullshit concept, Toby? Uh, 
No, I think it's because I'm so hydrated that I can go for two ah, hours without ah, yeah, drinking. Yeah. And I'm so dehydrated that But one. that's just a guess. Yes. Okay. I'm not a hydrologist. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's fine podcast. Yes, I know because my mouth is still <laughs> What is happening on Monday's program? Hey, on Monday, just in time for the season finale, we're going to be talking about season two of Perry Mason on HBO. Okay. On Max? HBO Max. No, Max. Max. On Max? You see they're changing their branding? It's going to be Max. Oh, jeez. Ew. Yeah. All right. What? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, oh, it's a whole thing. So HBO Max is like merged with yeah, Warner's Discovery the, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they've decided they're changing their branding to be just Max. And I'm like. That's stupid. It is. It's really stupid. It's like, it's like basically taking the thing that's good about your brand <laughs> Hi, I'm Max. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, Tiffany Jewelers just becoming knee. Yeah, Jewelers. <laughs> it's like so. This is all Cinemax. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like your iPad just being a pad. <laughs> so, is there going to be like ancient alien stuff on now too? I, I, yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe that wouldn't be that bad. It's going to be prestige TV and just like unadulterated crap all together Mm. in one big. Yes. That's America, baby. Festering pot. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. But it's just going to be Max. Yeah. So Perry Mason, uh, (laughs) the season finale is going to be on that channel. Yeah, Monday night is the season finale, so we'll be uh, out Monday morning. We'll give our predictions and talk about what we thought. Are we going to talk? We're going to talk about the Matthew Reese ability to do an incredible American accent. Uh, mm-hmm. Only if oh yeah, you want to. Despite the fact that he, his actual accent is like completely like unintelligible. unintelligible. <laughs> yeah, I might argue that's extra textual, but um, you know, you do you. All right, it's impressive. No, I'm impressed by it, Rebecca. So it's, I will talk about it with it's you. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. All right, I think feel like as though we've already talked about it just now. There's never <laughs> enough time. Never enough talking about an excellent American accent, Toby. Toby, your American accent, by the way, is really astonishing. Just FYI. It's, yeah, it's a little rough around the edges, but I try and keep it keep it going. Yeah. If you want to bone up, you can even watch our season one discussion of it. We did it uh, on Facebook Watch when we had our uh, Facebook Watch TV series. That's when episode one came out. And there's all sorts of like little footnotes and tidbits about noir writing and about the author and stuff that also popped up. And my beard was this long. And my head was really round back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's back in my big wow. round head days. Mm. Okay. All right. So, Kevin, I think it's time to talk about the podcast we're going to be talking about. And it's a heavy one. So I think we should just get into it. What do you think? Do it. Let's drop that first clip right now. I think for the most part, I was shocked. At that time, I did have faith in the justice system. And I, I knew that... Uh, I wasn't responsible for the death of those two men, so I kind of expected to walk out the courtroom that day. Lamont McIntyre was in prison for a 1994 murder he didn't commit, based largely on evidence provided by Detective Roger Golubsky. After his exoneration, attention in Kansas City, Kansas, turned to the retired cop with a reputation for racism and corruption. It wasn't until that man was exonerated and a list of murdered women surfaced that people who had the power to do something about it started to realize how much deeper this story went. Residents said Golubsky preyed on black women and sex workers, abusing them and sexually assaulting them. Several of these women were murdered, their cases investigated by Golubsky and left to go cold. 
Years later, federal authorities finally went after the cop many thought was untouchable. You understand that we're accusing you of um, terrorizing black women in Kansas City, Kansas for decades, correct? Object to the form, same instruction. On the advice of my attorney, I invoke my Fifth Amendment constitutional rights. Winner of the Investigative Reporters and Editors National Award for Best Audio Project, Overlooked is a six-part series from KCUR and the NPR Midwest Newsroom. Host Peggy Lowe examines Golubsky's years of misdeeds, his connections to unsolved crimes, and the present-day effort to hold a dirty cop accountable. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Overlooked, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes, for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Lar Bricker, you think Roger Golubsky and his story should inspire a new sound effect that Kevin should put on our soundboard? Is that what I'm getting from your notes here? This is what I'm getting. So like when Kevin does the, that's nice or whatever, I want one that's like, fuck that guy. Mm. So can we do a fuck that guy sound effect for that guy? I hate him. Fuck that guy. You know, this is this is a podcast for me that I can really get behind because we have somebody at the center of it that is just so corrupt and so just out of bounds. I mean, when they finally get to question him in that civil case and he wouldn't answer any questions, he invoked his Fifth Amendment 555 times. Although I was thinking 666 might be more appropriate <laughs> for him. <laughs> That's what makes this satisfying to listen to in a way is because, I mean, I don't say you have a villain, but you you have somebody at the center of this that really needs to be held accountable. Well, you do have a villain. (laughs) I mean, he's a villain. Um, He's a villain. He's a villain. Toby Ball, you actually have your first note, something that I kept thinking about over and over again, in which you said this podcast is lacking in frills. Uh, What did you mean by that? Uh, I mean, it's just just reporting and interviews, right? I mean, there's no other... Like, is there even any music in it or anything? A little bit. A little bit of Blue Dot Sessions beds. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it. I mean, it's just really... You know, I don't think there's much archival audio, if any, that I can remember. I mean, it's just mostly her her reporting, and I guess there's archival audio in that they're, they've got stuff of of um, Golubsky getting uh, deposed and, and a few things like that. But for the most part, it's it's just it's sort of a a record of her reporting, which isn't a criticism because I think the reporting is really good, and I think the story doesn't need like a bunch of bells and whistles, but it does come off as being very bare bones uh, production wise. At least that, that was my impression. I also listened to a lot of it in the car. So if there's like subtle stuff going on in the background, uh, that was totally lost on me. I actually do have a criticism related to the style of the podcast that I'll just throw out. I'm not going to make a huge big deal out of it. I don't feel like there's a lot of immersion in actually the the script writing and the delivery of podcasts. Perhaps they didn't listen to a ton of narrative podcasts before writing this podcast. A lot of it sounded like traditional four-minute feature writing or introductions in a um, magazine show writing. It was not particularly conversational. The writing was very formal, and it felt like a print piece being read out loud a lot of the time. And that, to me, was just like a lost opportunity. And structurally speaking, one of the ways that that really stuck out to me is that, you know, Kevin, I'm wondering how you would feel about this. I, I kept thinking about In the Dark season one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because there was like an arrest and investigation that happened while they were doing this reporting, right? Yeah. And I just kept thinking about how In the Dark season one handled that. 
well, they were doing this reporting on Roger Golubsky. This whole thing happens with the FBI. I just kept thinking, what if they centered that in episode one, which they, they talked about in episode one. They did, yeah. But then what if the whole thing were like, how the fuck didn't this happen earlier? And like, is it, isn't it? Though? No, but that happened much later. How did he get away with it so long? And that was just sort of like a tale. But there was like a lot of susp- like, for lack of a better word, like I don't want to use suspense like in that way. It was, it was lots of drama inherently built into this. But in a way, like narratively speaking, I think that you know, as much as the sources in this podcast or stories are incredibly compelling. Golubsky himself doesn't really come forward as a, a figure in the podcast until like episode three, episode four. And I really feel like we should have gotten more about who he was a little earlier to really understand how fucking horrible he was. And I think they think there could have been a way to do that that could have been modeled by other great podcasts. That was sort of my opinion about the structure of it. I think the reporting is great, by the way. I'm not saying it's not. I just feel like it could have benefited from some style notes from other shows. What do yeah, you think? I mean, I... I, I didn't I, I, I didn't feel the way that you did about like mm-hmm. it needing to have more uh, it didn't have enough of Kalubsky up front. I mean, I think I got to know who we were dealing with right off the top. And it's uh fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck that guy. So, Kevin, let's talk about the arrest of Lamont. Oh, my God. Can you imagine they arrest and convict the wrong Lamont? All he had in common with the killer was the first name. Oh, all had in common with someone that they thought was the killer was the wrong name. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like he oh, looks right. yeah, like yeah. he looks like the killer looked like someone I know named Lamont. Oh my god. And they stuck with it. Yeah. Good for them and their strong backbone. Um I was gonna say, like, can you believe it? And then like, yeah, I can absolutely uh believe it. It, 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 it seems a little bit like the same tactic from uh Bone Valley, right? Which is when they have the prosecutor bring somebody, like they have a witness, and the witness is like, uh, that's not it. Like, well, we'll take your child away unless you go to court and say that it is. Because we don't think that you're actually being truthful. We just think you're chickening out, and we want to ensure that you help us put this guy away. So, as much as like, you know, the shade that we throw at this cop, which we should. There's just not enough shade really thrown at that DA because she comes up more than one time about sort of enabling bad justice to occur in KCK. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody who's letting the bad cases happen, letting the bad prosecutions yeah. happen. All right, guys. And this is like, you know, sort of the inertia of the justice machine that we see all the time. They're there to get convictions. They're there to preserve convictions on appeal. And it doesn't really matter if new evidence comes up or if there's anything that sort of challenges that legitimately, we're just going to make sure that the wrong guy stays in jail because better, you know, nine you know, men go free than one spend a, a night in jail. It's like better that nine innocent people stay in jail lest one guilty man goes free. And exactly. It, 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 that's what it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, Lara, can you talk a little bit about Nico Quinn? I mean, she's really the person at the heart and soul of this story. She's the one who, you know, her original interview, you know, she feels is the, is the reason why Lamont was arrested and convicted to begin yeah. with. I think that's arguable because it's really the cops and prosecutor's fault. Um, yeah. And she really carries this with her, you know, throughout his conviction and imprisonment but she's also so connected to Mm -hmm. so many other stories that relate to Golubsky right 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about Nico is that there are sort of tendrils connected to so much later. Her sister Stacy also connected, but you know, to the actual situation and the case that Lamont is charged with, you know, she's you know walking down to her mom's house. She sees this guy like dressed in black, like something out of like creepy, like black hat, black everything. Goes towards the Cadillac Deville. And, you know, you see people, she's like, this isn't like abnormal. But in this case, this person pulls out a shotgun, shoots the people in the car, and it happens to be her cousin, and then a distant cousin, um, also named Don, which is kind of Little odd, Don and Donnie. Little Don and Donnie. But, I mean, I think from the beginning, she's compelling to me because she she sees this. She talks about going over, realizing, like, Little Don, like his face is missing. He's been shot and talking about how right after this, you know, how Golubsky tells her if she identifies him, things will go better for her. Just say it. Just say it wasn't him. Just say it wasn't him. And I'm sitting there and she give me this look like. We worked it out. Do what you were told. And all I could think of was my kids. Because I know when everybody went to jail or something happened, I had everybody's kids. So who's going to take care of my kids? She tries to then change her story and tell what actually happened on multiple occasions without success. You know, she's, she's kind of a constant thread throughout this podcast. You know, her story and her connection to the case and then her reaction, how she's drinking and drinking and she's doing PCP and she just sort of goes off the deep end because of what she saw. But then after that, when she comes back and she's like, I need to make this right and nobody will believe her. And then that segues into her sister, Stacy and Stacy's connection to Golubsky and Stacy actually being a real eyewitness who was never even freaking interviewed. Right. Um, which is bonkers to me. Yep. So, Toby, I'd love for you to talk about Golubsky a little bit because you sent me an interesting note about him that I've been actually thinking about ever since I read it. Golubsky is this very, I, I, it's not like I have like a taxonomy of racists, like, an, like a poster on my wall, but he is a very specific, virulent kind of racist cop where he is, you know, just doing the stuff that racist cops do He's also raping women, which is like an unbelievable crime for a cop to be committing in a serial way. He also marries one of his victims more, I think maybe more than one, but we actually have an interview with one of them. Does this thing where he marries her and then annuls the marriage without her knowledge immediately and then stalks her for years after she finally gets out of it. He turns all of the people in this black community into confidential informants that he can basically blackmail them into turning on each other so that he can get all these bad convictions. He's just behaving in a way that's like, it's like from another time, which is essentially what your comment is kind of getting to. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel as though, you know, if he'd lived in the 1830s or whatever, he would have been a, a happy slave owner. I mean, I I, I feel as though... He's trying to create those conditions in a certain to a certain extent within that community. I mean, it's basically all about trying to control the people in that community, right? So whether he does it through blackmail, whether he does it through sexual violence, 
you know, even this woman who he marries and then immediately annuls, it's not as though there was this great, I mean, at least according to what we hear, it's not like this great romance. He basically finds this woman who's struggling as a single mother and it's basically, I will get you out of debt. Right. And then you'll marry me. And you'll owe me. And then me. I will secretly annul it. Right. Uh, right. So, so it's sort of transactional to a certain extent. We were in bed one night having pillow talk and I'm just like, oh my God, what made you start dating black women? And the slip of the tongue, he said, because they're uneducated. It just kind of seemed like he was trying to run this neighborhood and he was trying to control people. And I think, you know, the whole thing with Lamont, you know, might not have intentionally started that way. But I think the idea that you can be clearly innocent and you can't get out, like we will not let you out, is another way of exerting control. It's like things are arbitrary. Like I make the decisions about what happens with you. And if you get screwed, you're going to stay screwed. And I'm the one who can make that happen. So, yeah, I mean, he's like, it's been a while. <laughs> I, I think I was trying to think of another central figure in a podcast we've listened to who is this sort of vile and sort of full spectrum you know, it seems like everything he does is basically for the worst, right? And then I guess in his mind, he falls back on the fact that he's a good Catholic, mm. which he seems to put a lot of stake in. But anyway, that that was kind of my feeling is that he, he's trying to, as much as possible, create a system where he's got absolute control over this community, which is, you know, primarily black. Yeah. So, Kevin, one of the details is that we hear Centurion Ministries is this, like, innocence group, right? Which is yeah. an innocence group that, like, I don't know a ton about. You know, we usually hear about Innocence Project and stuff. You did point out, though, that wearing that minister's collar is a very good tactic <laughs> to be able Brinker, to do you need to buy a collar immediately. <laughs> oh, yes. People will, People will tell me everything. That's, that's, a, confess, that, that's yes. a good way to get what you want, right? The minister's collar? Oh, absolutely. It's like, you know, you can even, like, bring the basket Right, where they pass that around, <laughs> and you're like, put the envelope in, and I'll give you a subscription to Patreon. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> and what a transition. Are we doing it with the business section we're now? The business section. Is that section, what's happening right, right now? Absolutely. Look, we, uh, we're asking you, whether you're a patron or not, to go over to our Facebook group and to take our poll there because we are going to be offering a new Patreon level, which is Crime Writers on Episodes ad free. So you're just going to have to practice your Spanish some other way. <laughs> but we thought not with pine saw ads. No, but Mazola. Uh, <laughs> oh, we call it maze. That's right. <laughs> Remember those commercials? Yeah, but also in English. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, so those racist commercials that were on when we were kids for Mazola. <laughs> no, there's, I guess, Spanish. Where they're chanting Mazola corn goodness. Yeah. Don't forget, Calgon was an ancient you Chinese call secret. It, you yeah. call it corn. Yes. We call it maize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> By the way, that's just margarine. <laughs> we call him Sasquatch. You call him Bigfoot. <laughs> it's from the $6 million man was there. Uh, so as entertaining as all this is, people are going to want the business section. Some people think, well, why would you? We said 
when you get it ad free, get it business section free. So it's just us giving our hot takes and no breaks. And some people have been like, I want the ad free, but I still want the business section. So I, we are asking you, okay, what do you want? If we had to give it to you ad free, if the business section was still in it, would you like pass? Would you be like, oh, well, I would take the ad free, but I'd still listen because I want to hear the business section. I want to find out if I'm the patron of the week or I really just miss listening to everything that's on Patreon <laughs> that apparently I'm already paying for. I miss hearing occasional quips about random commercials from the 80s that happen yeah. in the uh-huh. business section. Yeah, so I uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can join at any level. Starting at $5, you get exclusive content each month. That includes things like Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, the Crime Writers on After Show, Mary with podcast. Don't forget to upgrade to the Bricker scale to get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Toby, uh, the latest episode was a great episode of, of the Deep Dive. They looked at the James Baldwin book, The Evidence of Things Not Seen. It's about... Uh, the Atlanta child murders. The guests were Ronald Young Jr. Yay. And uh, Dr. Marsh Chatland. Yay. Good friends of the show. But Toby. And ours. And ours. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what we mean. Toby, folks have to start getting ready for the next deep dive. And what is the homework and who's coming on the show? Uh, it's Motor Spirit by Jarrett Kobach. I know this has been hotly appreciated. Uh, hotly appreciated. Hotly anticipated by various uh, people in the Deep Dive universe. And to discuss this, we will be having our very own Rebecca Lavoie. Uh, Ooh. And? I'm just waiting for I'm waiting for the applause to die down. And? Uh, and Janet Farney. And? And uh, the one and only Jillian Pensavalli. That's right. <gasps> it's going to be a great yep. panel. And I actually have something that I wanted to just throw out there. Uh, because I gave sure. Toby my copy of Motor Spirit, I had to order another one, and they sent two. Oh. So I have because extra... I, I sent you one. Oh, oh, well, I have an extra copy. So I would love to send an ex- a copy of Motor Spirit to a lucky listener. And Kevin, can you figure out like how we should figure that out? Nope, that's your job now. <laughs> you threw it out there. You figure it out. All right. If you're interested in getting a copy of Motor Spirit, send me a note. If I get more than one, I'll figure out a way to figure out who gets it. Uh, send me an email at crimewriters.gmail.com. And um, I'd love to send you a copy. I'll even like write a note for you in it. Yeah. So that's going to be a great panel. Make sure you get uh, your Patreon membership out. Also in Crime Writers, I should say in Partners in Crime Media World, Wednesday we dropped a new episode of These Are Their Stories. We looked at SVU Season 13, Episode 22, Legacy, mm. with our friend Ronald Young Jr. This was the episode in which somebody had a sexual fetish by uh, cutting off women's legs. Ronald did not like it. It was crazy. He <laughs> said this was like one of your favorite episodes. I love this episode. Ronald did not like it. I like this episode. And I like the one where Finn and Ronald climb up into the water tower. This episode, though, Ronald was like, I don't like it. It's got too much body horror. I mean, yeah, but it's like law and order body horror. It's not really like the leg looks just like a Christmas ham. Like it doesn't look real. No. Ronald did not like it. It's so funny. He did not like it in a way that is so hilarious. It was great. I love having Ronald on. It was great. And so that's all the great stuff. Thanks for supporting us so we can keep all this nonsense going. Yes. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have 
Any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? I would say, but they're never going to hear. <laughs> Our Patreon patron saints are Holly Butler and Carol Wright. Wow. Bless you. Bless you, Holly. Bless you, Carol. You both have very Christmassy sounding names. Oh, they uh, do, don't they? Yes. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you for everyone who just supports us there. Thanks for those who don't. Thanks for everyone who takes the poll. You can do it whether you're on Patreon or not. Kevin, is that in the business section? Yeah, that ends the business section. I'm going to go and fade that music out right now. So, Laura, you also had thoughts about Centurion Ministries and uh, their efforts to free innocent people, right? Yeah. You know what I loved about him, uh, McCloskey, I don't remember his first name, was that he was like this like old school investigator. And this is like in the era where you actually have to, and this is something that's like near and dear to my heart, you have to actually track down people by going out, knocking on doors, looking for them talking to them face-to-face, going into courts and digging up court records. And so I appreciated like shoe leather detective work there, like really hitting the streets. And also, you know, this ties back into Nico, again, who we were talking about before, because Nico is the one who gives him the information that actually leads him to the person that is responsible for the murder. um, Because Stacy knew about where little Dawn had been before the murder and heard that somebody like had paid somebody called like monster. Yes. <laughs> to carry out this killing. But yes. is it, I, is it this guy Lamont who was at his family's picnic or was it a guy named monster? <laughs> I'm not sure. Who's the more likely Lamont suspect monster. I mean, I don't know. Somebody named monster definitely raises some red flags. <laughs> yeah. Just going to say, fuck uh, that guy. Monster. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah, I just, that's all I could think of when I heard it. I was like, if I were the police, who would I suspect more in this crime? <laughs> y- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hmm. it, was, it was pretty incredible. Speaking of that, I was surprised to see how doubtful some of you are that Golubsky may have been involved in the murders of all of these women that he was affiliated with. It's my opinion that he was very likely involved in some of the murders of these very many murdered women that he was involved with. I mean, here's why. So obviously this comes to light in the podcast that many, many women that he knew who were his, quote, confidential informants, which we all know was a bullshit term because he was abusing them and then using them in cases, showed up murdered later, you know, in these very violent ways, a lot of them with sexual violence, right? And then it's like, you know, we're not trying to intimate this or whatever. I do not think these reporters would have included this at all if there was not like some threads there that were worth pulling. A. B. Why do we not think he's capable of this? That many of the women on the list were used as informants in Golubsky's cases and their deaths were investigated by him, too. What Lamont McIntyre's lawyers say, and we have the autopsies that certainly back this up in a lot of cases, is that these women were murdered in these just extraordinarily and exceptionally violent ways. And they were acquainted with with Roger Golubsky. Is there any reason why anyone doesn't think that he would be capable of being involved in these murders? I think he's not capable of it. Yeah. I just feel like there wasn't, like, I feel like that whole part of this story has yet to fully play out Mm -hmm, to me. I mean, I feel like 
yeah, it seems suspicious as fuck that women that he was involved with are turning up dead, that women that he was involved with are having his babies. At one point, we hear about how they're like, oh, Roger's got another baby. Roger's got another one. But I feel like it just hasn't played out enough. And to me, the scenario that was going through my head is that the women that he is having these sexual relationships with are from such vulnerable situations that, you know, we've talked about like victimology in the past. Like these are people that very likely could meet with some sort of violence and crime just by the fact of where they are existing. So I'm not saying he didn't have some role in this. I just feel like it hasn't really fully played out yet. So I'm not really ready to jump on that bandwagon totally. I am because we heard from his ex-wife that he like grabbed her chain and was going to choke her in front of another person. We also heard the federal charges that he was abusing this 13-year-old girl for years. I think he's an incredibly violent person who's absolutely capable of murdering people. I don't think the three of us are disagreeing with that. Right. I think I, I think Laura put it well that as far as being a listener to the podcast, I don't know if they've sort of developed the convincing case for those crimes, but it definitely seemed like to me that at the very least he was slow walking these investigations. And yeah, these are people that were living He'd pretend he didn't know them. Right, right. So could he have? I mean, he definitely used those women as instruments. And when they were no longer useful to him, is it possible that's how he got rid of them? It's possible. I just, I, you know, I'm not there yet to say, oh, yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Toby, what do you think? Um, It's hard to believe that all he wouldn't have any involvement in any of the 12. Like, that just seems like the best case scenario is that he's probably got some involvement with a few of them. And the worst case scenario is that he's a serial killer. Um, you know, again, once I started thinking about this in terms of like the slave owner mentality, you know, and again, who knows what the reality is, but sort of, if you're plotting it out in a book, like that would be a, a reason to believe that he did. Uh, because again, he just doesn't, he doesn't value those lives as, as anything. So if it's an inconvenience, uh, it's just easier to get rid of them. So who knows? I mean, I think that's that's one of the issues with the podcast, and I assume they'll follow up, you know, with with special emergency editions or whatever. If if there's if there's more information that comes out, but that is kind of like this huge, huge like elephant in the room that they don't they don't ever come to any conclusion about because he does all this other horrible stuff, and you find out about that. But if on top of it, he's also a serial killer, like that's a pretty <laughs> It's like not a small deal. And again, you're just kind of left with an impression that he certainly could be, but whether he is or not is is a different thing. It was incredible to me. And I want to talk for a second about the way the department was when Golubsky was working, but it was incredible to me to hear the present day mayor and the head of the department talk about like, you know, that chapter is sort of like behind us and we have where people are looking into it. And if we'd found anything, we would have been advancing it. But so far, there's been no evidence of anything like that. And at the one point, is it the mayor or the chief of police who says, we have three black men here who are looking into this. Do you think we wouldn't look into this? And I'm like, how about you talk to some of the black women in your community and see what they think? Right. 
we're not talking about you, cop, because the cop, the mayor was an ex-cop, right? We're talking about the women in who were victimized in this community. And the idea that like the mayor who is an ex-cop thinks that he is speaking for the black community in this instance was like shocking to me, especially given that we hear that the department at the time, like Laura, one of the most like shocking things that I heard in the podcast was, you know, Golubsky at one point, you know, and a fellow officer walks in on him getting a blowjob from somebody. And I hate to even use the words getting a blowjob because it sounds consensual, right? And it was probably, it was not consensual. It becomes very clear mm-hmm. that none of this sex was consensual. He was using his position to assault people. He had power. And even if somebody, you know, if it was a quote relationship, it was not a relationship. It was a power situation and it was sexual violence and he was raping women. Yeah. So someone and they walks, say, yeah, should have locked the door. Don't any of you officers have locks on your doors? Like, seriously? Yeah. Matt Lauer. What do you think about the department's lack of action, especially since they clearly knew, not just vaguely knew, they knew specifically about Galupski. It seems like they even knew about his deal with the drug kingpin and the yeah. kickbacks and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the parts of this that was most maddening to listen to is This had been going on for a long, long, long time. And it wasn't something that people didn't know about. People had talked about Golubsky for years. You know, the FBI had been documenting this back to the 1990s and had, you know, a couple investigations. And there were anecdotes in those FBI reports that were very troubling at the time about, you know, civil rights violations and people being beaten and, you know, people ignoring, you know, drug situations that were going on. There was allegedly at one point 200 officers with misconduct allegations. But anytime we we talk about a case, and this is obviously a systemic problem in this police department, when we talk about cases where we have like you know, somebody that has been doing something for years and people just let it go when it's somebody that's a celebrity. In this case, it's a police department. You know, you're like, how can this go on? Well, obviously it's coming from the top down. And I think one of the most poignant parts of this in terms of it it happening for so long, being ignored, being sort of like, you know, like the guy, oh, lock your door for your blowjob or whatever, is the final episode where we hear from you know, the words of uh, the first uh, African-American woman to serve as a police officer. And she was from that same era as Golubsky. She knew, uh, had heard about all of these same situations, um, things that were, you know, going on. Um, But she, you know, she's since died, but she, she wrote out this statement about these reports and allegations about Golubsky. And it was, it was, Troubling that somebody in her, I mean, just did nothing fucking get done for nope. so long. Nope. You know, and, and I'm like, you know, what the fuck? And and just seeing him driving around all the time, whatever, with women in his car, it was like an open secret. And people were like, well, it's just, you know. But I, I think at one point we hear that um, somebody that he worked with went on to be the police chief. So, again, it's like, and it's troubling because, you know, something like this gives a black eye to all police and and that shouldn't be the case but when something like this it's so blatant happens 
it really just spreads yeah. like well, a cancer. Yeah. In this department, they deserve to have a black eye, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, they do in this department, but I'm just saying, like, I, I feel bad because, yeah, but it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Toby, quick question for you before we wrap up. Aren't you comforted to know that you can commit any crime you want? You, Toby Ball, is a white man, and you won't have to, like, serve time in prison before your trial if you just complain that you're not feeling well? Yes. Yeah, it's yes. comforting, right? It's so nice. Yes, it's it's the Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Yeah, you, you go from being a monster, and then suddenly you're, like, need two canes to, like— stumble to your seat and can barely talk above a whisper and all this stuff. It's, uh, I got the yeah, sugars. I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like, it's been institutionalized now that there's like this little performative thing you have to do and then you can just go home. Yep. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out overlooked Laura Bricker? What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Yeah, I would go thumbs up with this podcast. I mean, this is a very straightforward, as Toby pointed out, podcast in the way that it's told and produced. But the reporting is excellent. This is told by journalists that have been covering this case for a long time. They've got all the sources in place. And honestly, this story is just so rage inducing that you don't need any extra fluff in it because just telling the story is enough to keep me rage walking all week passing all the old people in my neighborhood because I'm so worked up. You know, this case, Roger Golubsky was, we can insert sound effect here, just a horrible, is a horrible individual. And, you know, coming out of this podcast, this is one of those things where I will be waiting to see what happens in his case because he is finally facing charges, not for all the things that he's alleged to have taken part in, but at least some of them. And you just hope that somebody like this is finally going to be held accountable for what he did to all of these women, you know, women that were really vulnerable and didn't deserve to be treated that way. So uh, thumbs up, um, kicking off your spring rage walking, plug this in, you'll be walking all week. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Overlooked? Yeah, I really like this for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, they do a really good job, uh, particularly in the beginning, uh, centering voices of women who are either victims or sort of victim adjacent in this community. Uh, I think you get a good sense of some of the community dynamics before you kind of jump into this closer look at this at this guy, Golubsky. It's sort of an interesting combination of sort of the virulent individual racism of this one cop, but then also the systemic racism that kind of allows it to happen both within like the police department and then just in general, the way Kansas City, Kansas uh, seems to be sort of set up. Um, yeah, I, the, the reporting, the reporting's really good. You know, it's interesting. I just kind of came away with a feeling like I, I had a really good understanding of this story there are things that aren't resolved in it when it was over. Like in a lot of podcasts, I'm like, well, I wish they, I'd learned more about this. I wish I'd learned more about that. And I feel like I've got a, a pretty good sense of this story and the environment in which it took place. So it, it's, it's a tough, it's definitely a tough listen at part at times. And I don't know the last time we ran into a, a an individual who's like quite as vile as this guy Golubsky. Um, but I, I, I liked it a lot. I, I give it a good thumbs up. 
Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs up. I, I love this kind of podcast where we've got a bad guy who's the target and we just, you know, pick apart all of the uh, the evil things that he's done to hopefully get his comeuppance. Now, it's not a spoiler to say that uh, he has eventually been arrested. But you got to remember, these guys were putting this together long before that happened. And it's almost, from a story aspect, it's almost a shame that he was arrested. Because if you could imagine this whole investigation with him still out there sort of being free, like the... The courage to put this together and and put together the, all these uh, accusations and this knowledge—it's it's very easy to do once somebody's gone to jail. You can look back this retrospective. It, it's it's a, it's a much bigger feat to be doing in real time and looking forward. And I think that the reporting's great. I, I liked everything about it, and I just wish that they. I know there are new developments. I think that there's something very recently about. Two more exonerations based on his police work or something like that. I hope that they uh, they do break into their feed kind of breakdown style with an update because I think this is a good case to follow. Yeah, I'm giving this podcast a thumbs up too. I have a couple of, you know, stylistic issues with it. I think it is weighed down by its very old school public radio writing and formatics. It feels very much like a radio talk show style documentary to me and it's in its writing and its delivery. Even it's like when we come back after the breakness, which isn't really a podcast formatic. Um, and I do think there's even a couple of journalistic choices that feel very old school to me. I'll just, you know, briefly point to one where they disagree with a family about whether or not they should characterize somebody is a sex worker or not. And I'm just not 100% sure why that was important to do in order to get a person's story in the podcast. Um, that being said, it is a really important story. I think that, you know, despite whatever like structural or stylistic issues I might have with it, it was incredibly compelling to hear the women in this podcast tell their stories. And, you know, the reporting is just very, very solid. And, you know, it's a good podcast. I really think people should listen to it. And again, it's a great example of what what great local public radio reporting can do to elevate stories to a national audience. And I look forward to hearing more stories like this come from stations like KCUR. So really good work to the team there. All right, that's going to do. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a mystery cat of the week this week. What does that mean? Well, there is a black and white cat that has been showing up outside my condo lately and trying to come in my house. Oh, that cat's going to be yours in like Hopefully four it's days. a cat. <laughs> and, yeah, it's not a skunk. Peppy la cat. And uh, it was Roger great Galupski. fun. It, uh, yeah, it's no, no. Um, and, it, and it just, it's, it, I think, it, I mean, it has a collar on it, has a home, but it's very friendly. It has no boundaries. On Easter, it showed up. We were sitting on my sunroom. My cats were out there. Here comes this cat. It's just there all the time. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of joy out of the mystery cat. So next, over the next week, I'm going to try to find out where it came from, what its name is, and what it's doing. Well, you are a professional pet investigator, Laura Bricker. Yeah. I believe in you. Yeah. If folks yeah. want to follow you on social media to get mystery cat updates, how can they find you there, Laura Bricker? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Toby Ball, if folks want to follow you on social media to get your reactions to Laura Bricker's mystery cat updates, how can they find you there? <laughs> uh, at Toby Ball NH. 
And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to follow you on social media to get your reactions to Toby Don't, 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 don't. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Enough. Enough. Kevin P. Flynn. Whatever. And if you want to follow me anywhere, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the after show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the handsome and wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet. In our New Hampshire basement, not to be confused with Studio C, The Closet in someone's Vermont basement. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later! I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this... Why did you just punch my arm? Right in the bruise. Oh, Right here? <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Why you just punch me? Because you're always like, this is Crime Writers. It's because you punch me. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Punch me, bitch. <laughs> Don't be a clam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.